Welcome to God Talk, a show where a rocket scientist and a medical doctor, who's also my pastor, discuss science and religion. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and with me as always is my co-host, Dr. Andy Wyatt. Today on God Talk, we're going to be discussing abortion. Dr. Andy Wyatt, welcome to the show. Yeah, Doug. So, Doug, we've had a couple of shows on abortion, right? On our first season, it was episode 19 and episode 79. So, Well, and those were, we really talked about all the basic moral arguments, the theological side of it, the scientific side of it. Well, what we're doing today is we're going to hopefully take off uh, as good as, as well as possible our theological hat and just look at abortion from a medical perspective, from a scientific and a political perspective. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I can't uh, separate myself into something I'm not. So we are who we are. So I don't want to, I want to be careful of that. You're right. We're going to try to emphasize for people who simply say, well, you're just telling us your opinion based on the Bible or Christian worldview, and yes, we do have that. So for people who don't have a Christian worldview, we want to come at this from another angle to argue against particularly late-term abortion um, without bringing in the baggage of our Christian worldview so much. Now, you know, we have to be honest about who we are. We have to be authentic. I am a, a pastor. I have a divinity degree, but I also have an MD, and I also have uh, years of experience. I've completed an OBGYN residency, and I practiced as an obstetrician for many years. Five so, five thousand babies. I mean, <laughs> something like that. A bunch. Yeah, a bunch, and you've had a bunch of babies. And I have taught medicine for the last nine years at a major university. So I can come at this from the medical side and try to at least keep my Christian and theological presuppositions at bay, we'll say. Okay. Uh, you know, I do think we have to talk about the moral side of it, even if we're not bringing in theology per se, simply because uh, nobody comes at this question without presuppositions. It's impossible. You know, everybody brings to the table their their upbringing, their understanding of the meaning of the world, of the world uh, God or no God. Everybody has moral presuppositions and and if you bring in politics and the legal side of things and the medical side you still have moral issues let me give you an example why there is no way for me to practice medicine legally um, and ethically without having a moral compass on what I do I mean you, you can't even do science without ethics so we have to be careful about saying we won't bring any uh, of that along, we can try to say we won't, we're not going to hit people over the head with the Bible or talk about theological arguments, but we cannot separate. I would argue you can't divorce ethics from science. You just can't do it. I mean, I've said many times on the show, it's one thing to know how to do a kidney transplant, but you can't actually ever do it without ha answering the ethical question of who are you going to take the kidney from and who are you going to put it in. It's just, there's just no way to do it. And I would argue even with engineering. I don't know that, but I would guess that you have to have some kind of philosophical or ethical basis to make decisions about 
even engineering questions. I mean, I, I would think. Absolutely. Uh, even something as simple as heating and air, right? I mean, if if I wanted to, uh, or if your HVAC wanted to, he could put in slightly smaller copper tubing from your outside unit to the inside unit. Your unit's going to run fine for a few years, but it's going to burn out very quickly, you know, qu- much quicker, and you'll never know. And all so, you're yeah. going so, to do yeah. is just in, in eight years, you're going to say, well, by golly, I need to buy a new unit. <laughs> so the question is not can you do something, right? I mean, right. we can do all kinds of things. It always comes down to the question of should I do it or what is the right thing to do as well as what can I do. So science has that, that problem of, of it has to have a philosophical underpinning. All right. Is this going to be your opinion? Now, I will try to to come at it from a medical perspective, from a uh, clinical, and based on the science, and answer it as honestly as I can based on the science as a doctor, not as a pastor. Okay. I'll say that. However, you you could get five OBGYNs in here that all have the same training, and we might give you know slightly different answers based on the way we've practiced, what we've seen, the way we see the world. So, you know, you can never completely separate ethics from science, but I'm going to try to give as uh, what we call a tabula rasa, the clean slate. Okay. Right? Try to give that as best I can because I, I do want to be fair to the question of women's health, to the proposition of choice and freedom, um, to the doctor-patient relationship. I want to be completely fair to all of those things. And at the same time, still try to answer some important questions today that we're facing. And obviously, why we're doing this show, we've already done two shows on it, right, is right. the recent, uh, net, what happened in New York and in Virginia regarding nine-month abortion, late-term abortion. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So anyway, but first, we, we have to say this is God Talk, uh, where we faithfully examine science and we reasonably examine faith. And this is God Talk, a program where science, theology, and religion are mixed up, mingled, and dissected. Uh, Doug, before we start, let's talk about the music. I chose, uh, coming in there at the intro, was Life is a Highway by John Cochran, I believe. Correct. And because this is about life, regardless of what you think or where you stand, um, I suppose some people might disagree with that. But I think at the end of the day... uh, that's the question, really, here. It, it, it comes down to life, right? And since I'm a slightly older, I chose uh, Day in the Life by the Beatles. And you can't argue with the Beatles. I mean, Well, and, and, the, and the thing was that all the, the abortion songs, I mean, we, we picked the life songs because <laughs> yeah. they were so much more livelier than the abortion songs were so the, much the, yeah. gr- uh, gloomier. There so were we, some songs that you mentioned that were about abortion, but it just sounded so dark and heavy. Oh, I thought, well, let's not lead with that. Right, right, right. So we decided to go with the lighter side of things. And at the end of the day, we are talking about life i mean let's be honest if it wasn't about that there wouldn't be any controversy so i think we can definitely say that okay so again those other shows you can go back and listen to yeah episode we'll... yeah season one mm-hmm. episode 19 was just titled abortion and then later on that year we did we did a bunch of shows on season one and then later on that year we did episode night uh, 79 was titled Abortion, Life, and something else. Okay, all right. So we've, we've talked about it before. But this really is hopefully 
targeting the medical, uh, legal, and political side of late-term abortion. Doug, I want to start out with this. Um, there's a famous case that in medical school, I wasn't, I wasn't told this in seminary, I was told this in medical school, a famous abortion case came up, and the professor said this. He said, uh, in the, in sometime in the past, a medical professor had told the medical students about a case. And the way he led was, he said, this, this patient has a complicated medical family history. And as you know, a lot of times the decisions we make in medicine, again, aren't, they're never 100% just cookbook or algorithmic or clinical. They're always, um, they always have a complexion that have to do with past medical history, fertility, uh, you know, medical problems that are going on, uh, childbearing wishes, and all kinds of things that, that color a decision. It's never just a straightforward thing. And he said this particular case, the father had syphilis, and the mother had tuberculosis, and together they had four children already. The first was born blind. The second child died shortly after childbirth because of problems. The third child was born deaf, and the fourth child had tuberculosis. And now the woman is pregnant again for the fifth time. And the question is, she's coming for advice, should I have an abortion? You know, and again, first child blind, second died, third deaf, fourth has TB. She has tuberculosis, the father has syphilis. The question is, should you advise an abortion? And the professor put the students into groups and let them discuss it and then come back. And almost every group said, I would advise abortion. And the professor said, well, congratulations, you just killed Beethoven. <laughs> because, in fact, that was how he came into the world. Right, right. And the point being by the professor was you have to be careful advising decisions about whether or not somebody should have a child and because you have to weigh it with the whole question of, you know, Let's not always assume the very worst. I mean, in this case, with that many bad outcomes in pregnancy, but of course we would have lost what with Beethoven. And so anytime we're talking about abortion, we have to color it with the fact that it's not really up to us who's born. I mean, that's, that's a fact. Now, it is a, it is a decision between the physician and the patient and I feel like that is where the bond is, and that's where the power needs to be between the doctor and the patient in any case. But when you start talking about late-term abortion after age of viability, basically after 24 weeks, it, it becomes a legal issue whether we like it or not. Even if we leave theology out of it, it becomes a, a legal issue. You know, I think that we have to be careful about being callous when we just say, well, you, you should just abort this baby. I mean, you, you don't know. And I will say that because we don't have the power to give life or make life, we probably don't have the power to take it. So that's as a doctor. Uh, we're, we take an oath to um, do no harm first and then to sustain life. So as you can imagine, this creates all sorts of problems when we go to medical school and, and do our training to sustain life, provide life, enhance life, right? Cure disease. Um, 
there's nothing in our training of, uh, that says your job is to in life. So this is where the problem comes between the the uh, your devotion and your role with the baby versus the role to the mom. And this is a problem with being an obstetrician. You're always having to balance the life and the well-being of the mother and the wishes of the mother versus the life, the well-being, and the potential wishes of a fetus. And this is really where the problem, this is the crux of the problem. Okay. All right. So first I want to interview my co-host and and let you tell me a little bit about your clinical practice. Since you are, yeah. an, that's what you studied, is OBGYN, right? Sure. Well, um, you know, after medical school, I uh, completed a residency at the University of Tennessee, and uh, that was a four-year residency training. And the, the fourth year of that, I was a chief resident. So I did an internship and then three years and chief residency year. And uh, during that time, I I delivered I don't know how many babies I but even during my residency, uh, I was essentially did every kind of gynecological procedure, every sort of obstetrical procedure. I mean, from amniocentesis, prenatal diagnosis, uh, obviously complicated deliveries that nobody else wanted to deliver. You so had I was exposed to all that. You had complicated deliveries. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How that many? That was a big part of the training. Well, any, if you just look at the number about 85 80 to 85 percent of deliveries are, are uncomplicated so about 20 percent just by numbers would be complicated complex deliveries requiring either cesarean section or operative delivery with forceps or different maneuvers or breach or preterm or something complicating where the patient had uh, preeclampsia you know high blood pressure different medical problems so in other words you have uncomplicated obstetrics and then you have complicated obstetrics and probably uh 20 of all the work i did as a resident at least was complicated but after i finished my residency then i went into private clinical practice and practiced obstetrics and gynecology and mostly what i did was deliver babies and do uh cancer surgery on women um ovarian uterine cervical cancer those kind of cases and then did a lot of uh, just delivering babies and seeing patients in the office. And I did that for about 12 years after residency. So if you add all together, about 15, 16 years of just delivering babies and doing GYN surgery. Now, I also practiced emergency medicine during that whole time as well. And then for four years after that, I just did emergency medicine. I left OBGYN because of the insurance and all the problems with OBGYN practice, the complicating issues. Right. But yeah, so about 15, 16 years of delivering babies. And uh, I've seen the, I well, think I've seen the gamut of every possible problem you could probably see. I've probably seen it. Well, you wanted a life is what you, what you said is because as an OBGYN doctor, you can't be more than 30 minutes away from the hospital. So you you said you actually left so you can have a life for for yeah I mean I was married a, a time before and it it the, my, that career really kind of ended my marriage I mean it had a lot to do with it um, I got remarried started having a family again and decided my wife and I decided after a couple of years that I didn't want the same thing to happen again yeah it, it you know I was in I have to explain I was in solo practice in a town of about 30,000 people, which is a pretty big town with a pretty large hospital, 
of a drawing area of 100,000, and I was by myself. So there were two other doctors in the town that were also OBGYNs, but none of us worked together, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. With OBGYNs are, tend to be kind of difficult sometimes to work with others. No. Uh, it seems to be that way. So, I mean, I had my own office, and each of them had their own office, and we all paid our own overhead, which it would have been much cheaper if we could have just come together, but... Now, we did cover each other sometimes with call coverage, so there was that. But for the most part, I really wasn't able to leave much because any time a patient would come in, which any hour of the day, any time of the night, weekend, it pretty much had to be there. So oh, wow. it was it was a difficult life, yeah. All right, so of all those years of practice, you never had a, a woman with a problem in the third trimester, right? Couldn't have. Well, no, I mean, yeah, of course I did, yeah. But there were lots of problems in the third trimester. But during all those years, I don't recall um, ever having a situation where a woman was in the last month or the last two months of pregnancy, and I would have to do an abortion to save her life. you never done an abortion? Never had to, well, I never had to do a, I mean, but be careful here because you have to be careful of these terms because termination termination can be used different ways. I mean, let me give you an example. There are people who would say um, performing surgery on an ectopic pregnancy, a tubal pregnancy, doing the surgery for that. Some people might say I did an abortion by removing that to prevent the woman from dying, you know, from hemorrhaging. Right. And I've done hundreds of those cases, uh, maybe more than that. I mean, so many. I've done so many ectopic pregnancies, um, I, I can't count them all. So, But I don't consider that a, an abortion because this is a pregnancy inside the fallopian tube that has 100% chance of dying. Well, it's not. It, it has zero chance of developing into a fetus in a person. Zero percent. It's never happened. Okay. <laughs> so I think we can safely say it's it's zero. It's not even close to zero. It's zero, and it has a hundred percent chance of either the mom bleeding to death if it ruptures, or at the very least causing significant morbidity. So that's a situation where you must terminate the quote-unquote pregnancy. You know, it is tissue growing, and it can occasionally have a heartbeat, although it usually doesn't, but that baby cannot develop inside a fallopian tube. It's never happened. So the only possible thing you can do in that situation is go in and open the tube up and take it out and, and deliver the products of conception out of the tube, and that's a surgery. So I've done that many, many times, but I don't call that a term. I don't call that an abortion. Right. You know, I would call, that was in the first five weeks, though. Oh, always in the first six to eight weeks, yeah. Okay. Usually in the first month. But right. now, as far as finding a problem in the, the last trimester where now the woman's life is at risk mm -hmm. uh, or something else develops, is there anything that could develop where you say, well, i got to terminate this this life here. Well, th this is such a good question, Doug. This is this is the question, and I think this is what's critical for people to understand. Um, first of all, third trimester, we're talking about the last 14 weeks of pregnancy, 13, 14 weeks, so from basically about 26 weeks to 40 weeks, okay? A term pregnancy is 40 weeks. 
uh, the first 12 or 13 weeks is the first trimester, then 13 to 26 weeks is the second trimester, third trimester is 26 to 40 weeks, so that lasts 14 weeks, lasts three months, essentially, of pregnancy. Now, you know, there are many times problems develop in the third trimester. Let me give you some examples. Preterm labor, delivery of a baby prematurely, that often happens in the third trimester. Preeclampsia, really high blood pressure in the mom that is can cause, you know, kidney damage, heart damage, can cause a stroke, it, it messes up their platelets and their bleeding time, it can cause liver uh, failure because of HELP syndrome. So, I mean, these are severe problems, always develops in the third trimester, okay, but that's in the mom. And another example would be placenta previa or placenta abruption, where the placenta either tears away from the wall of the uterus, the mom starts to hemorrhage, or the placenta is lying over the cervix and she's bleeding that way. And yes, those things I've managed hundreds of times. Hundreds. Oh yeah, easily. And yes, every single time the treatment is always going to be to ultimately deliver the baby, regardless of the outcome of the fetus. The treatment for the mother's life is to deliver the baby, not to terminate the baby, okay? I mean, never have I had to have a situation where the mom has a dire circumstance of hemorrhage or, you know, high blood pressure or whatever it would be, and my only option was I have to terminate this baby. In other words, abort it, kill the baby in some way, or the mom's going to die. Never had that happen in my life. I've never seen it. Now, again, could the mother's life be at jeopardy in the third trimester? Absolutely. But the question is, why would you terminate the baby? That's the medical question here. And I seem to be seeing from the propaganda, from the articles, that uh, some of the leftist groups or, uh, I guess, women's rights groups or whoever it is that's pushing this is trying to paint a picture, Doug, that looks like the only way to deal with the problem is to terminate the pregnancy and abort the baby, meaning it, you kill it, um, or the mom dies. That dichotomy right. is set up, and to me it's a false dichotomy because I've never dealt with that dichotomy ever. There's an article in the Washington Post about from saying that ACOG, you know who ACOG is? Yeah, American College of OBGYN, that's who I did my board certification under and the body that, that governs OBGYNs here. Sure. ACOG is pushing back against this one OBGYN doctor. He said he delivered 2,500 babies. He says, never do you, is in a, if you have a problem in the third trimester, just what you said, do you do abortion? You just simply deliver the baby. And the article says uh, the ACOG is pushing back. But I say... <laughs> I don't think that's what that's ACOG not, is saying. No, yeah. all they did is they just say there are these problems. Yes. They didn't say to abort. They just said there's these problems. Yeah, I don't think ACOG really stepped into the argument there. They're just saying these things can occur, and could they result in death of the baby? Well, sure, absolutely. They could. But <laughs> there would never be a clinical reason to say, if I don't terminate this pregnancy, in other words, give the mother some medicine, you know, or put some saline into the amniotic fluid and make the baby's heart stop, or do a D&E where I'm going to dilate the cervix and extract the baby by pulling the parts out and kill the baby. You know, 
I've never once had to do that. I've never, never been faced with a situation. Now, the only reason, I, I want to be honest here, there is a reason why a third trimester abortion might need to happen. There is. But it, it's not because of the mother's life. It's, it's not, because that's always dealt with by C-section or emergent delivery. The reason is you can have a mother who has a baby that's malformed, you know, Congenital malformations occur in about 3% of all births. So if you just look at all comers, 100 pregnancies, about 3 of those 100 are going to have some kind of congenital problem in the baby. Now, it could range anywhere from deafness to a heart defect to loss of a digit to uh, craniofacial problems, cleft lip, cleft palate. Those are some of the more common ones. So those things are common, you know, 3 out of 100. So those things happen. Now, there are devastating congenital anomalies. <laughs> you know, I mean, my one of my children has anosmia. She was just, she's born perfect, but she can't smell. She's unable to smell. And we didn't even find that out until she was about four years old. Um, and everything else works perfect. You'd never know there's anything wrong with her, but her, her olfactory nerves don't work. And she can't smell. She has anosmia. So things like that happen that are minor. But then there are devastating congenital anomalies, Doug. Uh, and for example, uh, anencephaly, where the baby has no cranium on the top and only has a brain stem with very little brain tissue. It's incompatible with life. 100% of the time, those babies die often in utero but always after born they might live 24 hours might live 48 hours now there's where you get into an ethical dilemma is is this considered you know a live birth but i have had those cases where a woman has had an anencephalic baby incompatible with life and we knew about it at 20 weeks but she didn't decide that until 28 weeks or 30 weeks third trimester that she just doesn't want to continue to carry this pregnancy because it's just mentally too much on her. So that would be the only case that I can think of that in a third trimester we would uh, go ahead and induce labor. And, of course, I didn't abort the baby, really. I induced labor early, and and the baby came out and died shortly after. Well, That's the only case I can think of. Well, I've got to push back on that statement. We know... Uh, of a of a gentleman it's this is a record where this where this fellow was in college and he had a swollen head he went to the doctor and it turns out that he had no brain he had uh, where you normally have a, cere- a cere- cerebral cortex yeah both of the two parts of the brain his was only two millimeters on top of his brain stem that's it and he was a math genius yeah, yeah, this is a strange scenario. It, 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 it really, really is. is. And it, this it, is a medical anomaly that I don't have an answer for. And I do know about the case you're talking about. And he essentially had very little higher brain. I mean, he had like an animal brain, you know, the, well, the brain stem with all the things that are unconscious. The, the, the consciousness. Totally normal guy. Yeah, I mean, well, not only that, but brilliant, right? Right, right, right. And he had very little cortex it's so it's what does that of, tell you it's kind of a proof of uh <laughs> of an afterlife right something your consciousness is not in your brain because he didn't have one 
So it's, he had very little. Yeah, well, I think it, it it's an argument for consciousness being far more complicated than we than we think. Right. Absolutely. Now, but you're right. We don't. But see, but that's the ethical problem. So, like with this anencephalic, now we know statistically that essentially, as far as I know, a hundred percent of those babies die within days or maybe weeks at the most but i've never known of an encephalic to grow up you know and be a functioning person okay but that's the only one now i want to bring one other thing up doug about uh why abortions are performed can i give you that one because a lot of times when we're talking about this people say well women should have the choice to have an abortion if they need it and so many of the time they say it's because of medical necessity that's why I want to bring this up. Right, right. And so I looked in the statistics, 21% of abortions are performed because a woman says she couldn't afford to have the baby, that it's a financial strain. Financial, okay. 21%. 20% said they didn't want the responsibility or the burden of a baby. 16% that have abortions. Now, these are just all abortions. 16% said they didn't want their life to change. And 12% because they didn't want to cause a problem with their boyfriend. So if you add that up, that's about 50 to 60% are all for convenience, essentially. And, and here's another thing I want to say that is a medical uh, fact. Only about 2 to 3% of abortions across all of them. Now, this is not talking about late-term abortions, just all abortions. Two per, about 2 to 3% are performed for, quote-unquote, health problems. Okay? And why do I bring that up? Because, Doug, if, I mean, I think some, there are so many abortions, um, something like 3 million, let's see, 6 million pregnancies in the United States, 3 million of those are unintended, and how many abortions are there? You know, we'll get to that, but let me just say the number is staggering, and let me just say that if 2 to 3% of those is all we were talking about, we wouldn't be having this conversation. This is because of the problem of doing this for birth control. That's the, that's the issue. Right. Well, let me, since you, you actually went to the very end of, what, of my notes just now, and, and I've got to bring up, since you're saying it's for convenience, you know, I don't want this burden. Well, geez, you know, what about there is, uh, what about if your loved one gets dementia or uh, Parkinson's or gets Alzheimer's? You know, you're going to have to carry for, uh, care for that person, you know, whether you want to or not. If it's your, your, your parent or grandparent, my grandparents were born in the 1800s, so I, there's, they're not alive now. <laughs> but if they had dementia or, or Alzheimer's, I have to care for them. You know, it's, and it's 8 to 12 years. Uh, so are we saying, or are these people saying, well, I don't want, to, want that burden of caring for them, so I ought to be able to terminate their life. Is what and, and see, that's the thing is, so the, the dilemma is you're, you're, you're plotting two things against each other. One is autonomy, or your right to live however you want to live, against not their own life, but somebody else's life. See, that's the problem. If they were, if they were saying, well, I want my autonomy, so I'm not going to do X, Y, or Z, which would affect their own health or life, that's one thing. But they're saying, my autonomy is more important than this person's life, which, how do we know that? I mean, how can you say that? I mean, is that is that true? 
That's the question. It, it, when we have these, uh, see, they're only about one uh, percent of abortions are for rape or incest. Okay, and if two or three percent for health problems, we're left with ninety-six percent for some other reason. Right. And, right. But I think what you bring up, you know, sometimes life you have to make decisions that aren't particularly what you want to do. Uh, caring for a, a patient with dementia, taking care of a family member who's sick. Um, in other words, it's something that cramps your life. It right. cramps your style. Right. You, you've got other plans. What if it causes financial burden on you to take care of your family? I mean, is that a uh, is that an unreasonable demand to place on somebody? All right, you mentioned about problems being developed during the third trimester, and the the woman has two choices if it's going to cramp her style by having a scar on her. You know, she doesn't want to have a C section if if there is a. Sometimes you just can't go vaginally. You have to deliver by C-section if you're going to deliver. And now she's going to end up with a scar. She doesn't want the scar to show. And the, But is there problems? What's the risk of having abortion during the third trimester versus delivering? You know. Yeah, well, first of all, if the mother has a medical crisis, and again, I can list them, placental abruption, placenta previa, um, placenta accreta, we can go down the line here, and I can explain all of these. Preeclampsia, every single one of those life-threatening maternal complications, the treatment is delivery of the baby, okay? Now, it doesn't say whether you have to do it vaginally or, or do it C-section, but you need to do it urgently, okay? Correct. So sometimes we can take a patient with an abruption who's bleeding and go ahead and induce labor. She may say she's thirty weeks pregnant, so she's got she's ten weeks early. Well, we certainly go. We do exactly what do, <laughs> we always take the mother's life, you know, because without a mother's life, you don't have a baby. You can't have a baby if the mother's dead, right? Right. So we always put the mother's life first. However, whether we do induction or whether we do C-section, it depends on the severity of the problem, how bad the bleeding is, what the urgency is. But one way or another, we have to deliver. Often, those patients end up with a C-section. I would say 60, 70% of the time, we have to do a C-section, which is a surgical incision. Um, now, if we if somebody wanted a termination at 30 weeks or that same time, it would be done vaginally, and it would be done by what's called a D&E, or a dilation and evacuation. And basically, that's one way to do it. There are other ways. Fully formed fetus at this point who can live outside on their own. This is the problem I have. Before 23 weeks, if you do, let's just say, let's make it a little simpler, because 23 weeks is kind of the cutoff for, for when a baby can live outside on its own. Let's say you got a 20-week pregnancy, so you're halfway. Um, if you, at that point, the baby cannot live outside on its own. It can only live through the mother's placenta, and as soon as we deliver it, it can't. The lungs aren't mature, so there's nothing we can do to support that baby by ventilator. No way, it's going to die if it's before 23 weeks. Okay. Certainly at 20 weeks. So at 20 weeks, and the reason I say that is sometimes the dates are a little bit in question. So if we go to 20 weeks, look, that baby can't live outside. So in most states, if a baby is de is delivered before 20 weeks gestation, you don't do a burial. 
You don't do a birth certificate or death certificate. You don't do um, a funeral most of the time. If it's before 20 weeks, it's considered products of conception medically. After 20 weeks, legally, you have to do a death certificate. There's usually a burial and a funeral. So that's, that's a marker that's been with us for ages, you know, 20 weeks. And 23 weeks is that sort of line of when the baby can live on its own, not just as a parasite on the mom. So we got to keep those numbers in, in, in line. Now, if, if a mother was, say, 30 weeks and she had a medical problem, we would do C-section or vaginal delivery. If she wanted a termination, it would be vaginal, and it would be by either dilating the cervix and then going in and doing a breech delivery, and then as you pull the feet out, you deliver the baby down to the head, and the head, before it comes out, you would then inject a, or take a Metzenbaum scissors into the uh, base of the skull and make an incision into the brain and then put a catheter in and suction out the brain, essentially, and then pull the rest of the baby out. And obviously it's dead because you've pulled the brain out. The other way you could do it is give the mom high doses of a medicine called mesoprostol, which is a prostaglandin that causes really violent cramping and dilation, and she would just deliver the baby. The problem is if that's after 24 weeks, that baby's going to come out breathing unless you do something to terminate the breathing. And you'd have to inject something into the amniotic fluid to cause the baby to die before you did the... Now, see, these are the problems because my question is how is that different than infanticide? Let's say that we, we delivered the baby by breech. Let's say it's 30 weeks, okay? We deliver the baby by breech, and then before I deliver the head, I stick the, met- the scissors into the base of the skull, suction out the brain, killing right. the baby. And then take, then delivering the baby, and it's born dead. If we were just three inches away from, if I had just gone ahead and pulled the baby out, and then stuck the scissors in the brain, I, it was homicide. You see the the complication with that. If I just, Why if did, I delivered the baby and then stuck the scissors in right as it came out, just three inches longer, right? Then I would be in prison for life. I mean, this is the problem I have with it. All right, so you're saying they're doing it while it's still in there on purpose. They're not pulling it on out so it's actually easier to get to the brain to do this because they don't want to be saying, oh, well, it's this- homicide. <laughs> I mean, there's no there's no question about it. You'd be in prison for life. If it's you, homicide. It's three in, inches. Either way, it's <laughs> homicide. Come on. But you see what I'm saying. It's 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 by anybody's definition. The most liberal Democrat in New York, at this point at least, says if you deliver the baby, same baby, and you just move three inches lower, and it comes out of the vagina, and then I stick the scissors in, I go to jail for life. But if I do it while it's still the cervix is around it, it's called an abortion. You see the difference? I mean, it's just a matter of three inches. Now, if a mother's life depended on that for some reason, if that, I don't think that would ever happen. But if it ever did come down to that, if there's something I'm not thinking about or some rare situation, I can't imagine that it would be a problem. Right. We, well, we wouldn't do that. But the question was, is it safer to go ahead and have an abortion at 30 weeks? Oh, no. The complication rate would be higher as far as the risk to the mother's mortality and morbidity 
you would have a higher morbidity and mortality from doing a late trimester D&E than you would a C-section. From, from because of birth. septic abortion or the risk of puncturing the uterus or having an infection or bleeding would be much higher from doing a D&E. And I don't know the exact number, and I'll tell you the reason is I've never done it. And I don't remember it from my training because it wasn't stressed, but I do know that it has a high complication rate, a third trimester abortion. That's why very few people know how to do that. You're saying, just, <clears throat> I got to get this across to the audience. You're saying that it is higher, more risk to the mother's life to have a late-term abortion than to have give birth to the child. Yes. Wow. The complication rate's greater. And I'll tell you, it, it, not only is it, and I can't quote the number because I don't know that the number would even be published very well or honestly, but I know that it is so difficult that uh, very few obstetrician gynecologists who are board certified even know how to do that procedure. It's very difficult to do because, again, it's a breech delivery. You're, you've got uh, often you have to break parts and go in and take different parts out and so forth at different times and pull different parts out, depending on how far the baby is along. Uh, once you get to this late term, you know, near de- near time to deliver, I mean, you just have to induce labor and do what I just said, a D&E and, and kill the, that's called a partial birth abortion is the term they call it. Um, but really it's just uh, infanticide. Okay. Uh, just going back to your practice, you had the choice during your residency which direction that you could you can go. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Tell me, and yeah. one was very, very, well, uh, what do you call that? Very well, profitable. Yeah, if you went this down. is this is really kind of an odd thing. I I don't have a good reason for why it happened, but in my first year of residency. The director came in, and he he made us all be present. There were uh, 14 residents at that time. We all came in, and he said, I want you to raise your hand which, if, which track you want to go on. Do you want to go on the abortion track where not only will you participate in abortions, but you'll have the opportunity to work in the clinic as moonlighting while you're a resident and do do now we're talking about first term abortions here first trimester we're not talking about late term although there might have been some second term abortions done at at that time Um, but basically we're talking about before viability in the state i was practicing in but anyway you could do those and get paid so the option was not only to take part in the the learning but you could also work doing therapy or doing termination, elective terminations, and make a good amount of money. Okay. And uh, at the time, I was an atheist. Yeah, I was going. That's the next so, question. Was, <laughs> you were an atheist this whole time. Yeah, I wasn't. A, I was not a Christian at the time. I did. I would say more of an agnostic, probably. But I certainly was not a Christian, not a believer, not religious in any way. And would have even doubted that there was a God if you pinned me down on it. So I didn't have any reason to do that other than the fact that I just still didn't feel something told me I shouldn't do it. 
It just didn't seem right to me, and I needed the money. It would have been nice to have made the money. And ha- hence, that's why I started working in emergency rooms. Right, right. And developed, you know, because I was moonlighting in these emergency rooms and then developed those skills, which have been with me the rest of my life. But, yeah, I chose not to. Okay. And the majority of the residents did choose not to, amazingly. Okay, okay. All right, well, now let me get to... Uh, more of the change gears here. We're going to talk about uh, well, first the number of poly- uh, of abortions happening in America, and I've got the statistics. And this is the only the abortions are reported to the CDC, and it started out to be in about two hundred thousand in nineteen seventy, and it goes up to f- you know close to five hundred in in nineteen seventy one, all the way up to a maximum of a one point four million. In, per year in 1990, and nowadays we are back down to about 630,000 in the U.S. 630,000 abortions a Six, year? Per year, yes. In the United States. In okay. the United States. And most of these, uh, 33% happen before six weeks. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, 41% happen between seven and nine weeks. So that's, what is that, 54 Three percent? Mm-hmm. No, seventy-three percent. Seventy-three. Three That's quarters right. yeah. is before nine weeks, before two months. Sure. And so it's only uh, I've got here one and a half percent is the last trimester is uh, from twenty-six weeks basically tw- well, to forty weeks. Yeah. Twenty-one weeks on. Yeah. Is one. And you would think, well, it's only one and a half percent. Well, geez, even a one and a half percent is still ten thousand. Yeah, so ten thousand babies aborted in the third trimester, second or third. Yeah, correct. After twenty-one weeks, mm-hmm. right? So it's still a significant number, um, and you know, so we have to think about these numbers a little bit. So let's let's look at it again. So roughly, there's you're saying now. Where'd you get this statistic? Uh, this is from, I think, the CDC, and there's okay. there's another one called. Uh, uh, Gutmacher Institute, Gutmacher G U T T M A C H E R Institute. Okay, but as far as CDC, we know that's reliable. There's a roughly six hundred thousand abortions terminations per year in the United States. Elective. Do you have any idea elective? Do you have any idea how many are worldwide? Yes, that's coming up next. Okay, and that is fifty-six million. My goodness! Wow. Right, right, and that is. Yeah, I didn't want to get to spring that on you yet, but it's uh, China has about thirty-five million per year. Well, Doug, let me throw another survey at you, just of couples <laughs> that that kind of put some context to this. Okay, these numbers. There was a survey done in New England of couples, of fertile couples in the childbearing range of twenty to forty. Okay. Uh, married couples, they did a survey and asked them for what reasons they would want to terminate. And it was just kind of curious to see what people think. 1% said they would abort based on the gender. So in other words, if they wanted a male and they found out that baby was female, 1% said they would abort just because it's the wrong gender. Okay. Okay. Six percent said they if said if they knew that this child was likely to get Alzheimer's disease in old age, six percent said they would abort that child. 
Wow. If they were like, if the baby was likely to get, not even sure. 11 cent, 11 percent. This is one that blows me away. 11 percent of couples said they would abort if they knew the baby was predisposed to be obese. This is in New York City? This is in New England. New England. I bet you if you ask them. Now that's awfully, that's pretty scary. At 11 percent. They would terminate if they thought this child was going to have a predisposition to be obese. That's almost half the population. Right. Well, I'm just wondering how many, what percentage of New England would abort if they found out that there's a likely that your child's going to be a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That may be off the board. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, let me give you... A- That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. One of the things I want to bring up is, do you often hear in the news that, well, these third trimester abortions, or any abortion for that matter, is being done for the mother's health. Right? Do you hear that? Uh, absolutely. See, that's what or people mother's are saying. Life is the, at the risk. mother's life, yes. Correct. What I hear, and I want to tell the audience, be real careful when you hear this or you read this in an article or you hear it on the news, of, well, we're trying to save mother's lives because we're doing this for the mother's health. A lot of times they'll say health problems. Well, let me tell you what some of those health problems are. Now, this is just a medical thing. It's not my opinion. Is this not, before six months, or is this going to be after? This is for all abortions. Okay. Okay, but often it's used in the third, late term. You know, let's say it's for a health problem. Okay, well, here's what some of those are. Discomfort. Another one, psychological problems, including depression. When we'll say, I have to have a termination for health problems. What's the health problem? I'm depressed because I'm having a baby. Because okay. it cramps my style. Is that a health problem? Okay. Third one, alcohol or drug use. Um, if I stay pregnant, I can't continue to use heroin and cocaine or methamphetamine because it shows up in my urine and the doctor gets people involved. It cramps my style. So I have a medical problem. I'm addicted to heroin and methamphetamine, so therefore I must terminate the pregnancy. Now that's a big one. Right now. All right. Here's here's and then one more. Okay, obesity. Okay. Obesity is the is the health problem. So I'm just saying when people say, Well, I had to have a termination for health problems, you need to be specific and say, What was the health problem? Because when I think about that, I think, are you talking about a life threatening problem? That's the way I took it. Right. And then I mentioned placenta abruption, placenta previa. Uh, you know, vasoprevia, these things that are rare but happen in the third trimester, preeclampsia, and the fact that, yes, we would have to deliver the baby because that will cure the problem by cesarean section or vaginal delivery, not by termination of the baby. So be careful about health problems, and and are we talking about that or a life-threatening problem? One of the scenarios I'm thinking of is if the mother has done illegal drugs, if she has an abortion, who cares that it doesn't show up in the in the in the board of uh, tissue? But if she has a baby, then it's gonna, a problem with child protective services. Right, they're going to come after you. Says, "Oh, you yes, right." So it's illegal, and that's one of these health problems. Health problems. So you got to get rid of it because you don't want to be liable right. <laughs> for right, right because you just yes. delivered a a baby yes. like this. That's correct. So I'm just saying there's a lot of 
complex issues here that go into these terms, and these loaded terms are, they're loaded. That's just it. Things like, uh, I should be able to have an abortion any time because it's my right to privacy. Well, it, the only problem is it is somebody else's. It's the fetus. Right. <laughs> you know, not to mention the father. We haven't even brought up that fact. What if the father was also involved in creating the fetus? What if he wants to have the baby? Does he have any right over that whatsoever? He only has, uh, well, if the baby's delivered, he's forced to pay child support. So but does he have any right he, in whether or not she has the baby or terminates? Well, he has no right at all. Once, well, see, he, now that doesn't seem totally fair to me. Has, I mean, it really doesn't. Yeah, he has no right to choose if they're yes or no, are going to have the baby. But if she does have it, then he has a right to, you know, to be forced to pay and child support. And he can't say, well, I didn't want to have it, so I'm not going to pay child support. What, again, we stress this, 2 to 3% for health problems, 1% for rape and incest. And I want to be clear, too, that as a doctor, even though I'm pro-life as a person and as a pastor now, um, and I promote life, I'm not saying that there should never be a case for termination. I want to be clear about that. I'm really not. Um, um, There are first trimester times where a mother has an extremely abnormal fetus that isn't compatible with life or there may be a problem where she's bleeding off and on and it, it's not a healthy pregnancy and we just go ahead and do a dnc i mean there are those things that happen we talked about ectopic pregnancy what i'm pushing back against is the the termination for convenience for using it as a birth control after there's a heartbeat after the baby seems to be healthy those are the kind of cases i'm really talking about well what we call elective uh, abortions elective termination right. is the issue but yeah. there is from what i gather here what i've learned tonight is that if there are medical issues where the, you know the mother is life is at risk and it's before week 21 then you have to do an abor- a termination or yes you're gonna there's no way you can deliver baby the baby can't live the outside. baby can't deliver yeah. so you've yeah. got to do something quick you yeah. got to deliver yeah, and I mean, if you, and you, if you, you do that, and if you do that, the baby will die because it can't live inside the, it can't live outside the mother. Right. So right. that's correct. If you're before 21, 22 weeks, and the, and the mother's health is in jeopardy, yes, then if they want to say, well, that's termination, well, sure, you would have to deliver the baby at that point, and it will die. Okay. But you're not going to kill it beforehand. It's just going to die immediately. Yeah. Okay. So that could happen. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right, so, so anyway, we've covered about half the waterfront. We probably need to come back for a part two. We've covered a lot of information today. Well, I've got some uh, some information that's going to make you go wow. It, it would actually uh, blow your socks off on on how we compare to the rest of the world. Okay. So and we're going to talk more about the global perspective. Global perspective. Yeah. How many women die from abortions? And it's a large percentage of women who die from abortion. And that's something we'll I'll talk about on the next one, are more of the medical complications that we see, specifically the things that we see with abortion, septic abortion, and so forth. Um, and, and also a little bit more about the language that we use on the next one, what it means to be pro-choice and pro-life. Sometimes those terms get thrown around, and I think they're a little unfair. 
a little bit more about the um, the moral, um, I would say, the, the moral adjustments that we've made over time. I want to talk a little bit about that. Again, not religious, but just moral adjustments that we've made through time and we've gotten more comfortable. So lots more to talk about on part two. Absolutely. So it was a good show. It was a good show, and we look forward to part two. This is God Talk, a program where science, theology, and religion are mixed up, mingled, and dissected. And this is God Talk, the one-stop audio companion for the curious Christian, the seeking scientist, the dangerous deacon, or the angry atheist. God Talk gives real answers to challenging questions. Thank you for listening. He didn't notice that the lights had changed. A crowd of people stood and stared. They'd seen his face before Nobody was really sure if he was on the house of I saw a film today, oh boy The English army had just won the war A crowd of people turned away But I just had to look Having read